text for this morning's sermon is 1 Samuel 17, the verses 45 to 47. Read those verses again. Then David said to the Philistine, You come to me with a sword and with a spear and with a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hand, and I will strike you down and cut off your head. And I will give the dead bodies of the host of the Philistines this day to the birds of the air and to the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel, and that all this assembly may know that the Lord saves not with sword and spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hand. Beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, more and more people in our society today are suffering from fear and anxiety. That applies not just to people around us, but also to some in our midst. The fast-paced society in which we live and people's inability to cope with the demands of life contribute to various stress disorders. At times, fear and anxiety can begin to dominate our lives. We don't always have control over this. We tell ourselves not to be stupid, and yet we may suffer from panic attacks. Some see this as a faith issue. They say all you have to do is trust in the Lord. But even sincere Christians, children of God whose hope is in the Lord alone, have times when they can be overcome by anxiety. Anxiety and fear can be an overwhelming force in the lives of God's people. And yet it need not be. When anxiety and fear overwhelm us, it is often because our focus is wrong. All our attention is on the problem facing us. And at such times, we often forget to look to God. Just consider our text. Saul and his entire army were immobilized by fear. Yet David confidently entered into battle against the giant Goliath. This morning we'll consider how and why this was possible. We need to be careful to see our text in the right light. It's more than just a story about good overcoming evil. Or about the underdog winning an unexpected victory. Remember, God is at work in our text. He has anointed a new king in the land. He has given David some exposure to the royal court to prepare him for his future task. Yet David remained an unknown shepherd's boy. It seemed incredible that one day he would become king of Israel. So God goes to work, making David known among his covenant people and preparing them for their future king. When the armies of the Philistines are encamped against them, the Lord grants David as a deliverer for his beloved people. David as hero and king provides a foreshadowing portrait 
of the Son who would be born to him, our Lord Jesus Christ. In him, God shows his people how the Messiah would come to save them from all their enemies and grant them true peace. David was able to triumph in battle because he was indwelt by the Spirit of God. And beloved, the same applies to us. We can only stand strong against our spiritual enemies when the Spirit provides us faith and courage to do so. I preach to you the word of God under the following theme. Through David's triumph over Goliath, the Lord reveals his theocratic king. We'll consider David's zeal for the Lord's name, David's victory in the Lord's strength, and David's appearance as the Lord's theocratic king. One Samuel 17 begins by telling us about a new threat to Israel's sovereignty. The Philistines gathered their armies together. They crossed the border into Israel and advanced along the Elah Valley. Saul mustered his troops and went out to meet the Philistine challenge. The armies encamped on mountains on either side of the valley, which was located about 20 kilometers west of Bethlehem. They formed their battle lines. But neither really wanted to go and attack the other. To do so, they would have to go down into the valley and then fight on an upward slope. That would give the enemy the advantage. And so they were at a stalemate. And winning a battle is about much more than just brute strength. There is a strong psychological component to warfare. The scriptures real, recognize this. In the Bible, Israel's commanders are often seen encouraging their troops to take heart, to be strong and of good courage. They encouraged their troops with the knowledge that the Lord was with them. He would not leave them or forsake them. Yet Saul did not do this. For the Spirit of the Lord had departed from him. Outwardly, Saul was an impressive person. He was handsome, and from the shoulders up, he was taller than any of the people. The people of Israel had demanded a king like the other nations. And one of the things they wanted him to do was to go out before them to fight their battles. Saul had previously led Israel's armies to a great victory over the Ammonites. He should be able to do so again. Things began well with Saul mustering his army to meet the Philistines who had crossed over into Israel. Get after the armies that encamped on either side of the valleys. The Philistines sent forth a champion to challenge Israel's armies. His name was Goliath. He challenged the troops of Israel to come and fight against him. Pick any man and let the two of them fight to the death. If the Israelite won, the Philistines would be their servants. But if Goliath won, then God's people would become slaves of the Philistines. The Bible then gives us a detailed description of Goliath. 
He was a giant. Over three meters, that's nine feet tall. He wore armor that weighed 55 kilograms, or 120 pounds. He carried a massive spear with a bronze point weighing some seven kilograms, 15 pounds. A huge, intimidating figure that struck fear into the hearts of Israel's men. 1 Samuel 17.11 says, When Saul and all Israel heard these words of the Philistine, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. Why wasn't Saul able to stand up to Goliath? Why were he and all his men thoroughly intimidated and paralyzed with fear? It's because they thought they had to fight their battles with worldly sources of strength. Israel admired Saul because he was a strong and tall and handsome man. But Saul had met his match. Goliath was a mountain of a man with impressive and intimidating weaponry. He was a champion, trained, equipped, and naturally endowed to beat anybody in personal combat. If you want to fight with the weapons of this world, there's always someone who is bigger or stronger or who has more resources at their disposal. Saul's great problem is that the Spirit of God had departed from him. So he doesn't know what to do when faced with Goliath. It's clear the Philistines had won the psychological battle. Saul and his armies were paralyzed with fear. Yeah, beloved, there was more than just a psychological battle going on here. 1 Samuel 17 gives us many clear indications that this was a spiritual battle. Verse 5 tells us that Goliath wore a coat of mail. Verse 38 shows us how King Saul wanted to dress David in his coat of mail. Yet the Bible specifies that there was something different about Goliath's armor. It describes it as scale armor. That's significant. Goliath was dressed as a serpent with scale armor. It takes us back to Genesis 3.15 where God said to the serpent, he would put enmity between him and the woman and between their offspring. In our text, Goliath serves as a representative of Satan, the ancient serpent. Please note that Goliath came out every morning and evening for 40 days, mocking and taunting the people of God. The times when he appeared were the same as when the Israelites offered their burnt offerings to the Lord. Our text makes clear that each time he came forward, Goliath defied the armies of the God of Israel. What Goliath was saying was that he was a pagan, a God-hating Philistine. He taunted Israel's armies by asking, Why won't any of your men of the living God fight me? In ancient times, people believed that the battle was not really between 
the opposing armies was really between their gods. Thus, Goliath was not just belittling Saul and his armies. He was blaspheming the Lord, Israel's God. (coughs) The fact that this went on for 40 days is also suggestive. The Bible uses the number 40 for a period of testing. Just think of Israel's 40 years in the wilderness and of Jesus' 40 days of temptation. Saul and his army comprehensively failed this test. Their hearts were filled with fear. They were panic-stricken. It's at this point that the Lord acts. Sometimes we might think that David's arrival at the battlefront was just some random event. His dad sent him to the Israelite camp to bring some supplies and to see how his brothers were faring. Yet providentially, God brought David to camp to deliver his people through him. David witnesses how Israel's armies fled from Goliath and how they were filled with fear. And then he speaks. For the first time in the Bible, David's words are recorded. David asked the men, Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? David views the situation with a totally different worldview than all the men of Israel. Till now, the reaction of Saul and the Israelites had been a godless one. David asks, Doesn't having a living God make a difference in all this? Goliath had defied the armies of the living God. In reproaching the Israelite army, he had blasphemed the name of Israel's God. David is asking his fellow countrymen, do you expect the living God to allow an uncircumcised Philistine to trample his name in the mud? Israel thought Goliath was invincible, but for David, he was only an uncircumcised thug. Believing Believing in the living God of heaven and earth gave David a completely different view on things. David shows forth his great zeal for the Lord's name. When he indicated he was ready to fight against Goliath, he was brought before King Saul. The reason David gives for going into battle was that Goliath had defied the armies of the living God. When David went out to fight against Goliath, Goliath cursed David by his gods. The reason David steps forward to fight is because Goliath has mocked the Lord. Please remember, beloved, David was a man after God's own heart. A man full of love for the Lord and of confidence in his almighty power. A man who was filled with the Spirit of God. He could not abide the thought of God's name being dragged through the mud. He saw God's people paralyzed with fear because their king was no longer guided by the Spirit of the Lord. Motivated by his zeal for the Lord's name, David puts up his hand. 
He indicates he was prepared to go and fight against this giant. When David stepped forward to challenge Goliath, he said, You come to me with a sword and with a spear and with a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This battle is not about a piece of land or about whether the Israelites would be subdued and forced to serve the Philistines. It was a spiritual battle in which the hosts of wickedness were arrayed against God's people, trying to persuade them that the Lord was not the living God of heaven and earth. David's response to Goliath shows us how the great affairs of life are all essentially spiritual. What we do with our lives. How we decide whom to marry. What priorities we pursue. Whether we choose to witness to our neighbor or not. All reveal what we really believe about God. You see, beloved, it's one thing to publicly profess our faith by singing the words of the Apostles' Creed. And if we seldom act on the basis of what we say and believe, then we show that the world holds greater influence over our hearts and minds than God does. If we shrink from doing difficult things for God, or if we're paralyzed by the fear of man, then we show that we think that God is ultimately weak or distant or indifferent. Remember, beloved, that David was a forerunner of the Messiah to come. One of the first acts of Christ's public ministry was also motivated by his zeal for the Lord's name. In John 2, we read, In John 2, we read of how the merchants and the money traders changed the temple from a house of worship to a house of merchandise. Jesus made a, cord of, a whip of cords and he drove them out of the temple. He was consumed by zeal for his father's house, for it was a place where God's name was worshipped. Beloved, do we have that kind of perspective on life? What does the Lord's name mean to us? Do we truly believe he is the living God of heaven and earth? Do we trust his love and care over us? In our lives, we also face situations where God's name is trampled in the mud where God's name is blasphemed, where people show forth contempt for the God whom we serve. Think about the manner in which abortion rights activists or LGBT supporters try to muzzle Christians. I know that we need to be wise and compassionate and loving in how we address people, even if we disagree with them. But beloved, do we dare stand up for our faith? 
Are we willing to speak and to act for the Lord, trusting him to sustain us? This brings us to our second point, and it will consider David's victory in the Lord's strength. David faced opposition from all sides when he indicated he was prepared to fight against Goliath. First from his older brother, Eliab. Eliab's anger is aroused against David. Who does his little brother think he is that he could help out in this dreadful situation? He tells David to go home and take care of his sheep. Then David faces opposition from King Saul. Saul says to David, You're not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him, for you're but a youth. He's been a man of war from his youth. When David persists in wanting to fight against Goliath, Saul allows him. Yet Saul tries to dress David in his own armor. Since since Goliath was wearing armor, Saul thought it necessary for Israel's hero to wear armor as well. Yet David had very different ideas about how to fight the Lord's battle. Saul believed he had to be a king like the nations to fight the kings of the nations. (coughs) He wanted to use the world's weapons of warfare to fight. Yet David went out to fight the Philistine dressed as a shepherd with a stick and a sling, the same gear he used to fight lions and bears. Israel was God's flock, and Goliath was no more than a predator. David steps forward as a shepherd who would protect his sheep. The author of Samuel allows Goliath to dominate the scene in the verses leading up to our text. Five times he specifically mentions the Philistine. The Philistine moved forward. He looked and saw David. He disdained him. He cursed David and threatened him. It's as if the text itself trembles under Goliath's approaching footsteps. Goliath was used to dominating And so the author of Samuel allows him to do so here as well. David responds to this aggressive threat in faith. He trusted the Lord was with him. He says to the Philistine, You come to me with a sword and with a spear and with a javelin. But I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. David boldly asserts that the Lord would give Goliath into his hand, that he would strike him down and cut off his head. And why would the Lord act in this way? David explains, so that all the earth may know there is a God in Israel, and that all this assembly may know that the Lord saves not with a sword and spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hand. David makes clear the battle is not between him and Goliath. He stresses the battle is the Lord's. The Lord of hosts 
the god Goliath ridiculed would show himself victorious over Goliath's false gods. And after speaking, David acts. He hurried and ran to meet the Philistine. He reached into his bag and took out a stone and slung it and struck the Philistine in his forehead. So the stone sank into his forehead. And David then used the Philistine's own sword to cut off his head. His victory inspires the men of Israel to rush down into the valley to attack the Philistines. Earlier, such a move had been deemed suicidal. Yet David's victory over the giant transformed the battle. The Philistines lost courage and fled. The Israelites chased them back to their own country, killing many and plundering their enemies. Note, beloved, that Goliath had committed blasphemy, a sin punishable in Israel by death. Leviticus 24.16 indicates that whoever blasphemes the name of the Lord, either native-born or stranger, was to be put to death by stoning. We noted earlier that Goliath was dressed as a serpent with scale armor. The battle being fought here was a spiritual battle between the seed of the woman and the seed of the serpent. You remember God's promise in Genesis 3.15? He promised the coming of the Messiah. Speaking to the serpent of old, God said, He, the coming Messiah, shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. And in our text, David, as forerunner of the Christ, did exactly that. With a stone from his sling, he crushed the serpent's head. Our text presents us with the good news of the gospel. Presents David fighting the Lord's battle and winning over God's enemies. The Lord chose David as the savior of his people, the redeemer of his chosen nation. In him, the Lord comforts us with the good news of the coming Messiah. Symbolically, David won the battle that the son of David would later need to fight. The battle to conquer Satan, to deliver his people from sin and from the power of the evil one. Today, we may know that Jesus Christ has won the battle against the evil one. He gave up his life at Golgotha by dying on a cross. That act is the one that defeated Satan. For Christ has borne God's wrath against our sins. He paid the price to deliver us from our misery. He conquered Satan and all his hosts of wickedness. Beloved, it is by faith in the Lord and his promises that we can and that we will be victorious. May that give us confidence to fight the good fight of the faith. Remember, our battle is not against flesh and blood, but against the powers of darkness, against the spiritual hosts of wickedness. We do not fight in our own strength. Rather, we engage in this warfare armed with the spiritual armor God has given us. It is by the Spirit of God, His Holy Word and prayer 
that we are equipped to fight against the devil, the world, and our own sinful flesh. It's by the power and might of our God that we can stand firm against the attacks of our enemies. This brings us to our final point, and I will consider David's appearance as the Lord's theocratic king. One of the Lord's main purposes in our text is to reveal David as his theocratic king. A theocratic king is one who rules in the place of God, who serves as God's earthly representative. Saul had turned into a king like the nations. He ruled the people in his own strength. Since the Spirit of God had departed from him, Israel was like a rudderless ship, was tossed to and fro by the winds without any real leadership. In our text, the Lord reveals David to Israel to prepare the people for the man whom God would eventually give them as king. The Lord shows David to be far superior to King Saul. Saul was a giant of a man, a head taller than any other man in Israel. Yet he was afraid of Goliath, the Philistine giant. David, the only youth, was not afraid. Instead, he was filled with zeal for the Lord's name, ready to fight because the Lord and his armies were mocked. David was led by the Spirit of God. It was the Holy Spirit who gave him confidence in the Lord, who equipped him to fight Goliath, while the rest of Israel's armies cowered in fear. Saul was a Benjaminite. The name Benjamin means son of the right hand. Judges 20 verse 16 tells us the Benjaminites were known for their prowess with the sling. They could sling a stone at a hair and not miss. Yet in our text, we see that it is David who uses the sling to defeat Goliath. He's the true son of the right hand, God's chosen man, anointed to serve as king over Israel. In granting David victory over Goliath, the Lord was making known to Israel, he was God's appointed king. We need to remember that in the eyes of all Israel, Saul was still king. David was but an unknown shepherd boy from Bethlehem. Even though he'd been anointed king by Samuel, he had no public profile. In our text, the Lord is at work in making David known among his covenant people. As a result of winning the battle against Goliath, David becomes a national hero. The king's promise was that he would enrich him greatly, give him his daughter in marriage, and free his family from paying taxes in Israel. God prepares the way for David to take his lawful place on the throne. Beloved, today, the great son of David is seated on the throne in heaven above. Jesus Christ has been given all authority in heaven and on earth. He's Lord and King over all, over this universe, over the spiritual hosts of wickedness, over our lives too. 
That gives us confidence in the midst of the struggles we face, the battles we wage. We're not fighting our own battles. We're engaged in the Lord's battle. And as the Lord was with David, he will also be with us. Beloved, my encouragement for you this morning is to keep your eyes fixed on the Lord Jesus Christ, the founder and the perfecter of our faith. There's times in life when we can feel so discouraged, times when fear and anxiety fill our hearts and our minds, times when we're overwhelmed in our spiritual battle, when we're panic-stricken, frozen, unable to act. Please consider when that happens. Usually, when we're looking at the problems facing us, not when our eyes are on Jesus. Do you remember the time when Jesus' disciples were out in their boat at sea? And when Jesus came to them walking on the water, Peter asked to come to Jesus, and Jesus said that was okay. Peter actually walked on water. But when he looked at the wind and at the sea, he became afraid, and he began to sink. We do the same when we just focus on the problems facing us in life. The lesson simple, beloved. Keep your eyes on the Lord Jesus Christ. Trust in the power and the might of his Spirit. Then God's power will sustain you. He will help you persevere in the battle and will one day allow you to share in the fullness of Christ's victory over sin and Satan. Amen. Let's respond to the gospel message by rising and singing from Psalm 68, stanzas 1, 8, and 12. <clears throat> 